Good afternoon. Well, I'm not as entertaining as, uh, as you guys, so <laughs> you're stuck with me again for a second session. So, uh, In this session, we, we've, we've thought about Christ in evangelism, um, and now we want to think about us in evangelism. So. Uh, and, and in particular, the broad uh, topic for this session is uh, your concerns, your obstacles. What concerns do you have about evangelism? What obstacles do you face in uh, the opportunity to share the gospel? Why is it so challenging? Um, that's what we want to think about. And this might be a time where you jot down one of those questions if I don't answer it. But I'm, I'm going to try to, to anticipate some of your questions. Thinking about what are our concerns? Why is evangelism so unbelievable? Okay, and as we look at this, there's going to be kind of two approaches, three concerns, and one solution. Okay, two approaches, three concerns that we'll look at, but we can talk about more concerns later, and one solution to dealing with unbelievable evangelism. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... Um, the beautiful weather outside for children singing and dancing and, and uh, thank you for these graces that are also from you. And we thank you, uh, Lord, for life, for beauty, um, and uh, we thank you for your word. Help us now to cherish this word. Help us to be honest with ourselves in order to be uh, closer to you in the mission that you've called all of us to, the, the, the most important mission on earth, the mission of the gospel. So uh, help us to pay attention, help us to be honest, uh, and, and help use us, we pray, uh, in, our, in our cities, in our workplaces, for the glory of Christ. Amen. So let's think about two approaches to evangelism. First, I want to think about the aggressive approach. And this is kind of maybe one that's caricatured. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. In the aggressive approach to evangelism, people are a project to be completed, not persons to be loved. A project to be completed, a box to tick, but not a person to love, an individual to know. In an aggressive evangelism, there is this pressure that we feel to complete the project, to check the box, to land the deal, to close uh, the sale, so to speak. This kind of evangelistic pressure kind of builds, and it can be like a cloud that forms, follows us everywhere we go, and we kind of kick ourselves for not sharing the gospel in a moment at work, or you know, feel guilty if we... Uh, didn't do it right or didn't have a certain kind of experience that other people seem to have when they're sharing the gospel, this kind of a more aggressive approach. And, uh, and preachers even get up and they beat the drum of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and they say, go make disciples of Christ. You know? And you just kinda, it just kind of, the sound begins to kind of fall on deaf ears, right? Just this kind of pressure to go and, and to evangelize. I felt this in my 20s, this cloud of conviction and guilt that followed me everywhere I went. And um, if I didn't share the gospel, 
Well, then the lightning bolt of guilt would land on me and I'd feel awful. If I was in a plane and I had a captive audience, then I'd get struck twice for not sharing the gospel with this captive soul next to me. You know, pressure evangelism can make you do really weird things. Very unnatural, socially awkward things. Like when I was in Barnes & Noble with my friend and we were looking through books. We both found a book. We wanted to sit down and there were these four chairs. They're the, the ones that everyone's kind of silently fighting over because they're the most comfortable chairs. They're, you know, the, the plush, cushy ones, a nice table. Everyone wants to sit in there. We're kind of hovering. We see two chairs open, but they're right, not right next to each other. So we like can't, can't and, but then we're like, oh, well, like, they're across from each other, and there are two souls on either side that don't know Jesus. So, hey, let's listen. You pretend like you're not a Christian, and I'll be a Christian. I'll share the gospel with you. And they can hear the gospel. Natural, right? I mean, there's nothing awkward with that. Right? These poor guys, they just want to read a book. You know? Pressure evangelism. Right? It makes you do really weird things. Like, can I walk you through nine pages right here? Let's just sit down, you and me, right here. Let's walk through this little booklet, you and me. Right? And uh, you tell me what you think before I turn and look at this little diagram. And, and, and we just kind of, it's very unnatural. Can God use unnatural, silly 20-year-olds in Barnes & Noble? Yes, he can. But as we've seen, there seems to be a more relatable, discerning, uh, winsome way to go forward with evangelism. My wife memorized the EE outline, evangelism explosion, right? We're going to explode on you. Aren't you excited? And so she memorized, line for line, she memorized counter-arguments, and then they'd go door to door, and then the trainer would be there, and then, you know, the trainee knocks on the door, like, so freaking scared, but you've got it all memorized. And so she, she still has it memorized. She can spout up, you know, if you died tonight, and you were going to face God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? It's an important question. But it's often this kind of aggressive uh, way. And that question, if you die tonight and you stood before God, and he asked, why should I let you into my heaven? It has a little bit of a flaw with it. Because it, it kind of assumes that the, the way into Christ is getting the answer right. If you nail the test, if you fill in the blank, if you say the words, if you walk the aisle, you're in heaven. But not only that, it's not just answer-driven. It's heaven-centered. If I could just get to heaven. We subordinate Jesus to heaven. When Jesus is what we should be looking for, Jesus is what we should be, as we saw, the way of glory. Like That's what we want people to meet. Yet we bait people with heaven. We're answer-driven. We're anxious. We're awkward. We're weird. <laughs> you know? Aggressive evangelism forces us to do really weird things. I was uh, spent a summer in Santa Cruz, California. Great place to spend a summer. Learned to surf, you know. But I was with this organization, this campus ministry, right? And got a job, worked on the boardwalk and all that stuff. And, uh, but we would do these evangelistic outreaches. You know, everyone gets excited when you say evangelistic outreach, right? 
and uh, especially when it's on the beach. So here was the, here was the thing. We're going to get a big rope. I mean, a really long, thick, you know, two-inch rope. We're going to lay it on the beach. And then all of us Christians are going to go out there, and we're going to find people to do tug-of-war with. You know, they're just suntanning, and they're just, you know, they're surfing. You just grab them and say, hey, we're going to do a big tug-of-war. You get them to do the tug-of-war, and then afterwards you share the gospel with them. That's natural, right? Like, man, don't you feel God tugging on your heart? No, that's not natural. Pressure evangelism. I was like, can I just, like, build a relationship with somebody? <laughs> you ever been on the other end of a pressure sale? You walk into Sears or, I don't know where you go up here, but, you know, you need to get a washing machine. They want to upgrade you to the other. You're going to buy a car. You're like, you're dreading it. You don't even want to go. You just want to do the online buying or just, you know. It's just, it's so awkward. It's, it's greasy. You know they're hiding money in the deal somewhere, and you're trying to figure out how, you know. And that's how people feel on the other end of pressure evangelism. It's awkward, maybe greasy. Can I trust them? Because <laughs> we're acting so weird because we're so aggressive. So we're, we're so misshapen sometimes away from Christ in order to get people into Christ. That's the aggressive approach. Anybody want to sign up? The passive approach. Yeah, some of you are thinking, well, I was off the hook because I'm not aggressive. But there also is the passive approach. And in the passive approach, people aren't projects to be completed or boxes to tick. They're, they're people to be respected. Right? You know, you want to respect people. You, you, you want to be more thoughtful. The passive evangelist is, uh, you know, you, you quiet down. You might even say, you know, I don't want to let my actions do the do the talking. A little more passive. You, know. you might even use this, uh, this quote you probably heard you know, by St. Francis. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Kind of like, you know, that's my style. I'm kind of a passive evangelist. The only problem with that is that, well, just put yourself at work. You're a passive evangelist. You're in a cubicle. There's maybe couple desks around, and you think, if I'm just really moral, I don't steal the company pens, you know, if uh, I do great work, great reports, whatever my product is, you know, I'm a standout employee, I show up on time, sometimes I work late, I've got a great work ethic, you know, I'm really honest, don't, don't take in, uh, I, don't, I don't participate in the, like, you know, nasty cooler talk or, you know, joking. You think someone's going to go, you know what, that guy's a Christian, that, that girl's a Christian, they never steal pens, they never go to jokes. There must be a holy God. And I must be a sinner. And I need to repent of my faith in Jesus Christ who died for me. No! That doesn't work. Cubicle witness. It's not happening. St. Francis actually never said that, by the way. He was an avid gospel preacher. Yeah, he cared about creation and birds and people and but he preached the gospel. You might say, well, you know, I just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what God's called me to. You know, people can see the hands and feet of Jesus all day long, never look him in the eyes, never know his face. The hands and feet of Jesus aren't enough. 
for people to repent and receive the glorious salvation that God offers us in Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10. We're commissioned to share a good news, a good word, a good story about a great, the greatest person that's ever walked this earth. It's hearing an audible word. Remember Colossians 4? Pray for a door that the word may go through. It's as if the word itself is alive. It's as if the word can go into someone's heart and, and, and animate a dead heart. It's personified. The word, John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The gospel word is Christ himself. Entering into hearts that are dark, lighting them up with redemption and love. So, passive evangelism also doesn't work. Two ways, two approaches that we kind of get off and wonder where you are. Maybe, maybe you kind of dabble in both. You know, sometimes you've been aggressive, maybe earlier in life. Now you're passive. Maybe you're just passive. I don't know where you fall. It's good to think about it, to take stock of it as we think about the greatest mission on earth. Perhaps we're unbelievable because of our approach. Because of, uh, you know, maybe we just chalk it up to personality. I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert, I'm aggressive, I'm passive. Where do you tend to fall? Now that you've maybe got that identified, Let's uh, say you're talking to a coworker, you're talking to a friend, neighbor, and you sense an opportunity to talk about Christ, to maybe just talk about spiritual matters, to talk about church or God. But then, in the moment, you sense it, and in the moment of evangelistic opportunity, you choose not to speak. You choose to quiet down because you have a concern. What if they think I'm preaching? Self-righteous. What if they think I'm shallow? You know, I'm just trying to give them a message and like they, they're dealing with like major debt and like sickness and, you know, just tell them, believe in Jesus? Kind of comes off as shallow. You know, maybe, maybe I don't want to be perceived as intolerant, like Christianity's bigoted and judges all the other religions and I don't want to come across like that. Maybe you just don't want to be seen as a pushy person, you know, the, the aggressive people. I'm not like that. That turns people off, turns me off. And so in the moment of evangelistic opportunity, we have really good concerns, good reasons not to share the gospel, right? Because we don't want to, people think that Christianity is bigoted and narrow and pushy and self-righteous, right? I mean, that's not what Christianity is about. So in the moment, we kind of quiet down. Because we don't want Christianity to be misperceived. Think of um, the hypocritical impressions of Christianity. You know, Mandy Moore's movie Saved. She's like ticked. You probably even saw the trailer. You didn't see the movie. And she takes the Bible and she says, I am filled with the love of Christ. She throws it at her friend. That's the popular impression. Christians are just hypocrites. They talk about love, but they really hate. Maybe you saw Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. Major internal battles, dilemmas, struggles. I can't share the gospel. 
We're hypocrites. You know? So you have these evangelistic concerns. What are yours? Can you identify one that, that kind of, think about that person or that time that you had an opportunity to talk about Jesus. It, what, was the, what was the concern? I want to be shallow. I want to preach you. I want to be intolerant. They're really good concerns, and I think we need to think more about them. So let's think about a few of those, okay? Let's think about, uh, I don't want to be pushy. You know, pushy people come off as kind of uh, pushy or preachy, we might say. Like, they come across as like self-righteous, right? Like, they, like I know something you don't know, and if you, could, if you could just know what I know, or I'm more moral than you are, if you could just kind of be more, or I'm more spiritual, right? That's the kind of preachy. I think of like when I was in college and there was the free speech area, and these people would stand up on soapboxes, literally like boxes, and they would yell and scream at everybody, and then expect them to be warmed to the love of Christ. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that you haven't had that experience, but you don't want to be that kind of person. You don't want to be perceived as self-righteous, because that's not what Christians are. You know? Think of, a, I was in a Starbucks, and uh, uh, was working on a sermon. In walked a guy, he was kind of a boisterous guy, you know, kind of, you know everyone could hear him in, in, in the Starbucks, ordered his drink, and he kind of sat down next to me, and he kind of, he's, he was not at my table, there was a table behind me, kind of looked over, he's like, hey, what are you doing? Perfect opportunity. Right? <laughs> Working on a sermon. Here's how he responded. Don't preach to me, don't preach to me. Waving his arms back and forth in the Starbucks. So being the great evangelist, I said, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Really? Like, aren't you like a Christian? Yes. Aren't you a preacher? Yes. Aren't you writing a book on evangelism? Yes. And this guy said, don't preach to me. And you said, don't worry about that? Like, really? Why? Well, because I didn't want him to think that I, was, that I was preachy. But I'm a preacher, and I'm working on a sermon. <laughs> Because I don't want to be seen as self-righteous. Right? I want him to know the righteousness of Christ, not the self-righteous religious person. But how's he going to know that? There's a, a, a real righteousness that he needs. If all I say is, don't worry about that. My brother was uh, doing a summer or short-term mission trip in the Tenderloin District in San Antonio, I mean in uh, San Francisco. And uh, they, you know, that's a pretty, uh, pretty challenging area to be on a mission trip. It's not Santa Cruz. And uh, so he was walking around and just really felt kind of alive, sharing the gospel with people, and lots of drug, act, drug addicts and strippers and all kinds of people in need, invisible need. And... Um, he was praying with a couple addicts, and uh, someone walked up to him and said to him, you pray for us? I'm going to pray for you, man. I'm going to pray for you. Do you need prayer? It's kind of just this attitude. and just kind of, it's like, oh, man, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I need prayer. And, and, and as he confessed to this skeptical person that he needed prayer, it hit him. He needs Jesus just as much as them. And, and then he stood back and thought, why is it that I share the gospel so freely here, 
with these drug addicts, and when I'm home, I'm quiet as a mouse. What? What's going on? And he confessed to me, he realized that evangelizing down is easier than evangelizing up. Because he viewed people in visible need as socially approachable. And so, you know, he, wa- he wasn't concerned about being self-righteous. But then with this guy that came along praying for him, he kind of realized, you pray for me? Kind of found some self-righteousness in his own heart. When we esteem someone, their social standing, maybe they seem smarter or wiser or more successful. Maybe they're an older family member. It can be hard. We don't want to come across as self-righteous, as pushy. There's an interesting passage in Acts 23 where Paul is on trial, and there's a chief priest there, and he's facing the Roman tribunal, and there's a bunch of Jewish leaders there. And uh, you know, they, they call him to account and, uh, for who he is and his ministry, what he's doing. And he, he stands up, and uh, let me look at it together, Acts 23. Acts 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? Look what Paul said. I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Is he evangelizing up or down? Up. He didn't realize this was someone of significant stature, perhaps older than him, certainly in his kind of spiritual and social status, higher above him. And when he realizes that, what does he do? I did not know. He honors that high priest. Even though he's not preaching the gospel, even though he's not standing for Christ, even though he's probably in the way of preaching Christ, he chooses to honor him in his standing. And then, verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that part of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, a mixed crowd, of religious leaders, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, of, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Then a debate breaks out, and he is able to 
get away eventually. Now, what's he doing here? He's honoring the authority in front of him, evangelizing up, so to speak. He's honoring that person, and yet he chooses to honor someone else more. He goes ahead and he talks about the resurrection. And he goes on to talk about the uniqueness of Christ. So it's possible if there's people in your life that you are intimidated by, by success or by age or social standing, to honor that real standing. And yet, if you're living in the weightiness and significance of Christ, to also point them to the resurrection, to the resurrected Christ. Now, he's also doing this to create some controversy in order to to kind of get out of the situation. But he's also bold enough to talk about the resurrection. In that moment of evangelist opportunity, when you don't want to be self-righteous, you don't want to be preachy, what will you stand on? Will you stand on passive evangelism? Will you stand on a weak, small me? Um, I don't measure up. I don't have a right to speak. Or will you stand on the resurrected Christ who has uh, exiled all sin and embraced you with his love and given you a righteousness to stand on? Not your own. It's not about your righteousness. It's about his. And tell people about the righteousness of Christ. What did the Starbucks guy need to hear? Oh, don't worry about that. I mean, he perceived Christianity to be self-righteous. What did he need to hear? There is a righteousness that you need, that you can have, an acceptance that you can enjoy before a holy God in the person of Christ. Let me tell you how to know that righteousness. That would, I mean, perfect opportunity to talk about that. I had an evangelistic concern. Don't want to be preachy, don't want to be self-righteous. But I forgot the gospel in the midst of the concern. I didn't want to be perceived as self-righteous and forgot the righteousness of Christ that I wear. (laughs) So that I don't have to worry about how this businessman perceives me in a Starbucks waving his arms. Because I am so accepted. Who cares what these people think? And the people on Twitter because I'm draped in the everlasting approval and righteousness of Christ, and you've got, to, you've got to meet this Christ. You've got to meet Jesus. I'll think about a second concern. I don't want to be shallow. Have you ever had an opportunity and you, someone's pouring out their heart, maybe at work, things are really nutty, deadlines, maybe they're sharing some of their family stuff or their personal struggles, maybe struggling with depression or anxiety? And you think to yourself, man, this is a great opportunity, but I don't want to just say, hey, listen, if you trust in Jesus, you won't be anxious anymore. You know, like, you'll be anxious for nothing, Lord, I prayer and supplication. Make your request known to him, and the peace of God will guard your heart. You, you just, oh, man, I don't know. And so you just quiet down. Um, reminds me of a friend, uh, I got, well, he wasn't a friend at the time, but a friend of a friend called me up Saturday morning said, um, my friend uh, has been found passed out on Congress Street, the main street that runs down our city right to the Capitol. Um, it's passed out and uh, is in rehab now and uh, was wondering if you would visit him. Didn't really want to. 
Like it was Saturday, I was hanging out with my family, I was enjoying it, but okay. Um, Lord, this must be what you want. So uh, get in the car, drive over to the rehab facility, pull up, uh, you know, lock my car, walk to the front. There's an armed guard out front. Armed guard uh, says, uh, empty your pockets. I got to put my phone and everything, so I walk back to my car, put all the stuff in there, come back. This is serious. Walk in, I'll, listen, I'll watch an advocate video, video for like 15, 20 minutes. Then I walk out um, to meet this fellow. His name's Ben. Uh, walk out in the back porch, it's a hot, hot Texas summer day. The ground is cracked. There's, uh, there's that like cemetery-like furniture. And it's like concrete, but it's all broken. There's like chairs and tables. Smoke is just hanging in the air as all the addicts are just, you know, trying to get some kind of hit. I'm introduced to Ben, and we sit down at one of those tables. And uh, I look at him. He's uh, bloated. Uh, his hair is um, part blonde, part black, part, part brown. I just could, didn't have enough money to keep it dyed. Looks awful. Sit down. So Ben, uh, it's probably not what you dreamed of as a kid, being right here, being like this. Tell me how you got here. Goes on to tell his story. You know. Grew up with religious parents, was adopted by religious parents, and, uh, but had this gnawing sense of insignificance, uh, insecurity. Didn't feel accepted, really, by family. Kind of felt out of sorts. And then friends were really hard for him. It was kind of awkward. And uh, then he founded a community that, that liked him, that accepted him. Uh, and then they started using drugs together. He was like 11. Uh, started using drugs, and then he kind of wanted to quit. And when he quit, wanted to quit, well, then they rejected him. <laughs> the accepting drug community rejected him, which led to more drugs and uh, more intense drugs. And, I mean, you just, you just kind of, like, put that on repeat, and here he is in his... I don't know, mid-20s, late-20s, uh, at rehab, bloated, uh, you know, trying to dry up and uh, put his life together. Now, if you're sitting across from Ben, what are you going to say to him? You say, listen, Ben, uh, if you put your faith in Jesus, um, he'll forgive you of your sins, and uh, you can know God, and uh, one day you'll go to heaven. He died on a cross for you. He rose from the dead. I mean, it seems kind of shallow, right? It's profoundly deep. But it comes across as shallow, right? I mean, to this guy who's like, he's a freaking addict. He's like, his life is a complete mess. He's been rejected his whole life. What do, what do you say? How do you share the gospel with needy people, broken people, visibly needy people, right? I listened and I, I thought, man, Holy Spirit, how do I communicate the gospel in a compelling way to him? And to listen to longings in people. Ask questions, remember? Always be gracious. Answer each person. How do you answer this person for me? What do they need? What are the longings that they're looking for? I'll go ahead and tell you kind of where that particular one. I usually save that for later, but um, I just realized suddenly as I was praying and asking the Holy Spirit to help me, help him, that this was an old man. I mean, 
in a young man's body, but I mean, he was decrepit. He was falling apart. I mean, he was, he just did not, I mean, he looked, he looked aged beyond his years. He looked worn beyond his years, you know. Broken is a good word for this guy. And as I, as I, as I began to look at him and I was praying, the Holy Spirit said, he needs to become a new man, a new creation. And as I thought about it and I listened to his story, his longing to escape this life of addiction and to find uh, acceptance, man, he needs to know that he can be a new man. He can be a new creation. And so I, I said, and I'd sympathize with him a lot, and I said, you know, would you, would you want a, a new start? Oh, yeah, I'd love a new start. Would you like a new life? You know, from everything I hear, it's like you kind of want to start over again. Oh, I, yeah, I want a new life. But did you know that the Bible tells us that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he exiles the old man, and in its place he creates a new man, a new creation. How does that sound to you? That sounds pretty good. I mean, but I don't have a Bible, and I'm kind of an atheist anyway. Well, I can get you a Bible. Okay. And a pair of shoes. Got a pair of shoes, got him a Bible. Three years later, he stood up in front of our congregation, thinned down, hair the same color, and he kicked the doors off of his addiction and said, I put my faith in Jesus and became a new creation. Always be gracious, walk in wisdom, answer each person. I didn't want to be shallow. You don't have to be shallow. The gospel is endlessly deep. But are we listening to the needs and the longings of people's hearts and then matching them up to which, which version of the gospel, which aspect of Christ do they need to set them free? Ben's story hasn't been a straight climb to heaven. He struggled. I'd appreciate it if you'd pray for him today. I don't want to be preachy. I don't want to be shallow. Good evangelistic concerns. Supplanted by people who aren't believing the gospel. Third, maybe we could think about, uh, I don't want to be intolerant. I don't want to be bigoted, judgmental of other beliefs or philosophies, you know. I want to be tolerant. Um, there's new tolerance and old tolerance, a classical tolerance and a new tolerance. The classical tolerance says um, everyone has a right to believe whatever they want, right? Everyone had, we should give everyone the dignity of believing what they want to believe. Everyone has a right to do that. Uh, the new tolerance says all the beliefs are the same. Uh, all the truths are the same. So the new tolerance actually blurs the distinction between the beliefs. The old tolerance says, there are beliefs, and you have a right to find one to believe in. But it doesn't say they're all equally true. The new tolerance says all the beliefs are equally true. And it's in this atmosphere that we live and breathe and share the gospel. The new tolerance, not the old. And a lot of people who talk about being tolerant haven't even thought about the classical tolerance versus the new tolerance. New tolerance is very shallow. 
It's disrespectful if you think about it. All truths are the same. You mean the hardened, the, the, the person who has studied the Quran all their life and has devoted themselves to Allah? You're just saying everything, all the, it's just the same as Buddhism. You're telling me the Christian who has gone to church and served the poor and worshiped God and, you know, uh, changed their life to follow Jesus, it's just the same thing. It's very disrespectful to different beliefs. It's very kind of, uh, you know, anti-intellectual, honestly. But people don't think about it. They just take the, the sound bite from the culture, right? And, can, and so maybe if you know a person that you're concerned about being intolerant with, you could have that conversation. You know, there's a new tolerance and a classical tolerance. Classical tolerance says everyone has a right to believe whatever they want, but it's, new tolerance has added something different. They're all the same. And if you think about it, that's really disrespectful to all the religions. And it's in this atmosphere that we, we want to share the gospel. The uniqueness and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Allah did not die and rise again from the dead. Buddha did not die and rise again from the dead to forgive you of your sins and give you a righteousness you could never achieve on your own. There are real exclusive distinctions in every religion. And so you think to yourself, because of this, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about sharing the gospel, and, uh, man, I don't know. Let me tell you about uh, John and Ashley. John and Ashley, um, Ashley started coming to church, got to know some Christians, spiritually interested, hairdresser, all tatted up, really creative girl, started bringing her boyfriend, uh, atheist, not interested, you know, broke his foot so he couldn't do Sunday morning soccer, so he got to go with his girlfriend at church, asking all these questions. Great. Well, they want to get married. She's getting real interested in Jesus. And so, I guess we should get a preacher to marry us. You can imagine John is doing backflips at this point. Really excited. But anyway, they approached me and said, would you, would you do our wedding? I'd love to talk about your wedding. Can we go to lunch? <laughs> what would you say? I mean, that's at least bought myself some time. Pulled a Paul there. Hey, what about the resurrection? Can we get some time? Yeah. Anyway, so we go to lunch and uh, sit down and, uh, hey, guys, I know you want to talk about the wedding, but uh, can we talk about Jesus first? Because, you know, Ashley, I know you've been really interested in Christ and what he has done, and um, I'm really curious, John, where you are, because when you get married, you share the most profoundly deep places of your life, and you're going to have children, and you're going to raise them, and, you know, what you believe about eternity and God and truth really matters, you know, because you're going to build a home together, you're going to raise kids together, so... Can we talk about that? Then we'll get to the wedding stuff, okay? Because I'm just curious where you are, you know? It's, it's a big deal. Have you talked about it? Yeah, we've kind of talked about it. And, you know, Ashley asks for questions. And I start talking about the gospel, explaining it. She's just like a puppy dog. She's like, this is awesome, you know, lapping it up. She's like, this girl is like knocking on heaven's door. You <laughs> know, it was awesome. Then I turn to John. So, John, what do you think about Jesus? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I know you've been in church, you've heard sermons, you know, like, uh, what, what do you think? He's like, ah. I mean, I, I don't want to be narrow-minded. I don't want to be narrow-minded. That's good. I mean, I, I don't like being narrow-minded either. I mean, you probably heard, you know, on the Sundays you've been there, talk about all kinds of stuff like literature and philosophy and, you know, Christianity and Jesus. Yeah, 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 it's cool, it's cool. It's like, so, so, I mean, what do you mean by narrow-minded? I mean, I think of myself as a pretty open-minded person. He's like, well, you know, I mean, I just, you know, I'm, 
I want to give all the, all the beliefs an option. You know, keep my options open. You know, what do you mean keep your options open? Well, I mean, I just don't want to narrow it down to one. You know what I mean? All the beliefs, all the religions. You know, I just kind of want to just kind of hang out and just not narrow it down to one. Okay, okay. Well, um, are there any other girls you're seeing right now? What? I mean, what do you, who do you think I am? It's like he's thinking inside. So you're saying that there's no other girls in the picture, you know, that kind of nervous laugh. No, there's not any girls in the picture. Like, you know, I want to marry Ashley. You know, like, okay, so you're saying you narrowed it down to one. Yes, I've narrowed it down to one. So you're saying this is the only woman that you're going to marry and live with. Yes, it's the only one. Well, John, I mean, if it's important to narrow it down to one for marriage, just think how important it is to narrow it down to one in God of the universe. And he kind of was like, you just busted me. <laughs> he didn't get the twinkle yet. But I tried to listen, to be gracious, to walk with wisdom, and to answer each person, to engage the concern of intolerance and demonstrate a tolerance in the way that I speak, in the way that I asked him questions about his, really, his value he grabbed from the ether, from the zeitgeist that he hadn't really thought through. And then speak to each person to show him the fallacy that he actually does believe in one. He does believe in exclusivity. He's just suspended it when it comes to the more important thing. So maybe that's a concern of yours. Maybe that's helpful. Maybe you could begin to have conversations about real tolerance versus the new tolerance, the cheap tolerance, the anti-intellectual tolerance. And, but, and get into some meaningful conversations with people to get to the uniqueness of Christ. So we thought about two approaches, passive and aggressive. Right? We thought about uh, several concerns. I don't want to be preachy. You know, I don't want to be uh, intolerant. Um, and uh, I don't want to be shallow. Uh, there's probably other concerns, but maybe that's... I, here's the thing. I think your concerns are important, and I want you to hear that. And a lot of people today are just writing off our concerns. We need to think through them. Um, but there's also more than concerns. And that's where I want to get to the single solution. Single solution. Often when we think about, I don't want to be this, I don't want to be that, we don't want to be misperceived. And in not wanting to be misperceived, we actually are saying, I don't want to be misperceived, not I don't want Christ to be misperceived. And so we have really important concerns about not being self-righteous, not being unloving, not being bigoted, you know, very Christian-like things, good concerns that keep us quiet in the moment of evangelistic opportunity. But these concerns can quickly become defeaters that defeat the good news going forward and that door opening and the word going into a heart and making someone new, giving them approval, giving them joy, giving them righteousness. And, and, and so you could say there's a, they, they become defeaters. There's a defeater underneath the defeater. The defeater, what, what are you talking about? Why is it? Why are we more concerned about how we're perceived than how Christ is perceived? If we were more concerned about how Christ was perceived, we would tell people, no, it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's not shallow. It's the depths of new creation. Right? 
We would be compelled. But there's a defeater underneath the defeater. Proverbs 29 says, The fear of man is a snare. And the one, the fear of man is a snare. But those who trust in the Lord are safe. Fear of man is a snare. The one who trusts in the Lord is safe. In evangelism, all of us want to be safe. We don't want people to think we're anti-intellectual. We want people to reject us. But the fear of the Lord brings safe safety. Not what Twitter thinks about me. Not what that person who's older and more successful thinks about me. That's not safety. They're just, they're just flawed human beings in desperate need of Jesus, just like me and you. We need safety. We all want relational safety. When we enter conversations, when we move around in this retreat, we want to feel safe and loved. And if we're not careful, the church will become a fortress that keeps people with greater needs for safety out and away from Jesus. And the gap between the insiders and the outsiders becomes a moat that they have to cross. Jesus, Father sends Jesus to earth. And Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So how do you, how do you obey? How do you join Jesus in his mission? Greatest mission on earth. How do you do it? Got to deal with a defeater underneath the defeater. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It's a bear claw. And it snaps down on your leg, and you, you leave people stranded in sin, bound to hell, uh, destitute of a new creation, unaware of infinite love, unable to fathom what it is like to be approved all the time by a heaven, heavenly loving Father with no idea what to do with the guilt that they feel. The fear of man is a snare. If we fear what people think of us more than we trust in what God thinks of us, we will leave them stranded. Stranded in their unbelief. Fear of the Lord is a snare. But the good news is, the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. We are safe, brothers and sisters. We are secure. We are loved like they couldn't even imagine. We are approved like they're desperate to be approved, working so hard to impress the boss. We have an embarrassment of safety, an embarrassment of riches. And so perhaps in order to be more compelling, more believable, we need to defeat the defeater underneath the defeater by repenting of our fear of man and trusting in the Lord who is safe, who is kind, who even now seeing your thoughts and knowing your sins says, come, come to me. Find rest, find forgiveness, find joy. I love you. The single response that we need is the response that everybody needs, to repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is safety. 
Jesus Christ is security. Jesus Christ is righteousness and acceptance and approval and redemption. All the stories we've heard, all that they need is all that we need. The difference is we have it by grace, by grace alone. Through faith alone and Christ alone, we sit in a sea of gospel riches. Let it soak now in your heart and your mind as we turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, soak us, baptize us again in the riches of the gospel, we pray. We confess that we are afraid to tell our dad and our mom good news of the gospel grace. The co-worker, the neighbor, distant relative. Lord, forgive us for being embarrassed, for being afraid of people. We confess it, Lord. We love people and what they think of us. We love, what, we love ourselves, the lovely idea of ourselves. Forgive us. It's idolatry, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us and renew us as we now receive unmerited grace, forgiveness, righteousness, a warm embrace. Oh, Lord, soak us in this grace and compel us to talk about what we experienced this weekend when we get to work on Monday. The matchless grace of Jesus Christ and open doors, open hearts, and walk right in there and make people new. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.